predicted in the last days, okay? Now, persecution isn't something new, is it? Persecution has existed as long as the church has existed. In fact, um, the, mission, the missionary movement occurred because of persecution. Did y'all know that in the book of Acts? It was because of persecution that we have what we call the dia or diaspora. It was the scattering of the early church. It caused them to go into places uh, because they, they fled from persecution. By the way, if you can get away from persecution, you ought to. All right? You don't get a merit badge for saying, <laughs> I'm going to tough it out. Uh, if you can get away from persecution, you ought to. But the day will come when it will be nearly impossible to get away from persecution. In particular, in the tribulation time, uh, Christians will endure uh, not just uh, kind of emotional uh, persecution or social persecution. It'll be physical. It'll be initiated by the, the Antichrist, not by God, but it will be uh, reality. But there's a lot of different ways that persecution manifests itself. And, and we're talking about in uh, this particular section of our study, we've been talking about how uh, God's judgment will eventually fall. Uh, you know, we, we don't talk about judgment much, right? We just, um, one man said, it's the J word nobody wants to talk about, uh, judgment. But you can't read the scripture, and in particular, you can't talk about the last days and skip over judgment, can you? And because, uh, and by the way, that won't be the first time judgment has been expressed. Judgment has been expressed in the Bible on several occasions. One of those, for example, would be Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That was judgment, uh, the judgment of God that fell. Did you know that Jerusalem has been destroyed twice in its history? When the Babylonians conquered it, and that was an expression, Jeremiah spent a lot of time warning people, that was an expression of judgment. Uh, and then after Jesus in AD uh, 70, Titus and the Roman legions, uh, they destroyed, and by the way, they tore the city down themselves. Babylon uh, melted down uh, much of the, the gold in the uh, temple, and they took the temple. Uh, uh, vessels and all kind of stuff. Well, uh, Rome burned it down too. But after it had been, the first temple was called Solomon's Temple. Okay, the second was called Herod's Temple. Uh, today, if you go to Jerusalem and you go into that area, which uh, is also the area of what we would call ancient uh, Mount Moriah, where Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. Uh, none of that remains. There's an Islamic mosque, the Dome of the Rock, the gold-domed building that sits on the Temple Mound. But you've heard of the Wailing Wall. Have y'all heard of the Wailing Wall, the Wailing Wall there? Okay. Yeah, maybe you've even seen that on television. I've been to it many times, and people are praying at the Wailing Wall. Uh, they sleep. In fact, you, you don't see this on television, but if you get right up to the wall, there are just hundreds, of, well, thousands of little tiny pieces of paper stuck in the cracks of these stones. And they're, they're prayers that people have put in there that uh, um, Jews and people of all kinds of faiths. So 
Uh, I'm not saying they're biblical prayers or biblical prayer requests. They're just prayers, and you get up there, and you're uh, uh, literally amazed at them. But that wall, the Wailing Wall, do you know what that technically is? It is the western wall of the temple, of, of Herod's temple, and as far back really as Solomon. Uh, above that wall is the temple mound area where everything was destroyed. And that wall that we call the Wailing Wall had been much higher, but they tore, they knocked the stones down and all of that. So, so here's why I'm telling that's more information than you need, but it gives you some perspective when you see that. So, so Jerusalem has been destroyed twice. Do you know both of those were expressions of God's judgment or wrath? Uh, because of the rebellion of the people, both of those are. Now, after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, Israel got to come back and they restored their temple, Solomon, uh, I mean Herod's temple, blah, blah, blah. Herod's temple was the temple during the time of Jesus. But then because they rejected Jesus, Jesus told them, you remember the story where Jesus said, see these stones, not one stone will be left standing. And they didn't. Titus and the Romans, they knocked, I mean, it was rubble. The city was rubble. The temple was burned down. And Jesus, that was 38 years before it happened. I tell you that to give you some hope. And that is, in both occasions, before Babylon was, uh, before it overran Jerusalem, and before uh, the Romans overran Jerusalem, in both cases, God had warned the people and warned the people to give them a reprieve, to give them an opportunity to repent. And, um, and, and yet, they didn't, but they could have. So, what is our hope, class? Our hope is that as a people, as a nation, as a culture, we understand that God, God doesn't look at America and think you're special because you're America. Americans look at America and say we're special because we're Americans. And, and I'm glad to be an American. I'm proud to be an American. I, I, I wouldn't want to be anything else. So I'm not taking a cheap shot at Americans. Hello? But we have to be careful that we don't assume that God thinks of us like we think of us. Does that make sense? So God doesn't say, well, I'm, y'all are America. I'm gonna, y'all have done so many good things. I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to just overlook here. God doesn't operate that way. In fact, if anything, God says, you're get, if you get too proud of yourself, I'm going to knock you down. Because there's one thing he hates, and that is pride. That's why I always hate when something tragic happens and we hear somebody stand up and say, but we're America, and we will... Now, I'm for we willing, <laughs> but we have to be careful that we don't think just because we're America, we can, we'll overcome anything. Am I making sense? See, and that brings sobriety to us spiritually, doesn't it? Paul said, let no one think more highly of themselves than they ought to. That's a principle of, for an individual, for all of us. So don't think, well, that principle would would transcend to nations as well, right? Don't think more highly of yourself. Don't think you're above. There's a passage in Lamentations, uh, chapter 4 and verse 12, I think it is, and it's Solomon there. And Solomon says in that passage, uh, this is a loose translation, you understand, but he says, 
Uh, no one in the world ever imagined that the walls of Jerusalem would be breached. He says that. Now, remember, uh, not Solomon, uh, that's Jeremiah. And remember, Jeremiah is now writing that after Jerusalem had been breached, though he preached for years, uh, warning the people that it was going to happen. But Jerusalem was so powerful, high walls. It had around it essentially what we would call almost like a moat. There were deep, and, and which made it appear to be impenetrable from the enemy. And it was up on a hill. Um, I mean, Jerusalem, I mean, the, the main old city sits on a hill. And, um, and by the way, uh, I, I've had people say this before, but um, the, there's a, a, a place where in the Scripture says, let us go up to Jerusalem. Well, geographically on the map, Jerusalem is, is south from where that statement was made. And, and uh, the skeptics have said, ah, see, that proves that the Bible is not reliable. No, it proves they don't know anything about the architecture and the layout of the land. Because when, when it is said, let's go up to Jerusalem, they're talking about because Jerusalem was on a hill. It's set up high. So guess who's right and guess who's wrong? So they weren't saying, let's go down south. They're saying, let's go up. And remember, Jerusalem was always referred to as that holy hill and that holy... That's why. So you actually have to go to Jerusalem, even though you're traveling south on the map to go to Jerusalem. You had to, when you got there, you had to go up. So at any rate, well, I say all that to say... Um, God, it doesn't matter how impenetrable a place may think it is. God, if God says, if you don't repent, I'm going to bring my judgment. God can do it however he wants to. Hello? And I think the thing that is sobering to us is that before these incidents happened, they were warned. The people were warned. The people. Now, the question is, when you're warned, will you do anything about it? And, and that's what makes the difference. Um, and, so, and so why would then God finally allow his judgment? That's the question we've been answering over the past couple of weeks. Why would God allow judgment upon a nation, whether it's America or any other nation? And it's not just America. But uh, we have to be careful that we don't think, because I believe we were, have been a favored nation. Do you all believe that? We've been a favored. I believe the divine providence, and your founding fathers believe that too. Don't listen to some of the bizarre history that's now being propagated out there about how we came to be and that we were just purely a secular operation. Not at all. Uh, not all of the founders were thoroughgoing uh, uh, followers of Christ, but they all understood that the nation had to have a foundation. And that foundation, they all understood, was based out of Judeo-Christian uh, values, the Ten Commandments and the teachings of the New Testament, like the Beatitudes and those things, merged together to help form a foundation upon which humanity lives. We had a, a congressman. Did y'all hear about the congressman this past week who stood the floor and, and, and said, the will of God is not the business of this Congress? Oh, yes, it is. I, I, they're not doing it. 
and haven't been. This isn't about parties. It hadn't been the business, but, but, but it should be the business of God. I, wanted, I, I want to say you need to go back and read the Declaration. You need to go back and read the Constitution where it says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed with certain unalienable rights from God. That's in the, that's in the founding documents. I, that's what I want to say, Mr. Congressman. You don't even know the documents that this nation was founded upon. It's in the Constitution. It's in the Declaration. So, uh, so those things eventually, those things will eventually, if America doesn't repent, will lead to the expression of judgment on this nation. Um, and uh, so, uh, what would some of those things do? The shedding of innocent blood was the first thing to do. The persecution of God's people. That's what we've been talking about. And I gave you uh, three of those, if you remember. I'm going to put this aside so I can look better at my notes. Uh, I gave you, I'll come back to that. Just hold your place in Gospel Luke. But so uh, we said the shedding of innocent blood, the persecution of God's people. And then we said, how will that persecution occur? The first thing we said was through the, uh, 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 the restrictions on religious broadcasting. Right now, you have an, atten- uh, an attempt to revise a. Um, an FCC law uh, that uh, was about, uh, I'm trying to think the specific terminology, it's a freedom, the, the fairness doctrine, that's what it is. Have y'all heard of the fairness doctrine? Uh, it was enacted in the 1940s, uh, Ronald Reagan and them pulled it, and by the way, conservatives criticized him for pulling it, because they said, if you pull this, uh, we won't have a voice in the public. The Fairness Doctrine said this, that if one opinion is expressed on public media sources, radio station, it also has to allow an equal and opposing view to be presented or it can't present, can't present one without presenting the other, right? So Reagan listened to various arguments. He said, it's time to do away with that. Free speech... Uh, is actually being restricted by this doctrine. They said, no, no, because this gives everybody... But Reagan was right. And now, uh, conservative voices will argue, oh, this is bad if they reinstate this. The current administration wants to reinstate the fairness doctrine. Why? Because what happened with was when they pulled the, the revoked the fairness doctrine, what happened was uh, something that surprised everybody. Conservative voices suddenly had a platform that couldn't be matched by liberal voices. And so now liberal voices want the fairness doctrine because they can't get enough listeners without it. Okay? I mean, that's the, that's the simple... So they, they want the fairness. Well, what you're going to see down the road is you're going to see a restriction, maybe not any time in this year or the next year, something like that, but... Look, this stuff has picked up speed a lot faster than I ever thought it would. And so you're, gonna, you're going to uh, probably down the road see a restriction of 
of uh, religious broadcasting. We're already seeing some of that in the way some of these social media platforms are censoring religious viewpoints or Christian viewpoints. And it could happen with us. We're on those social media platforms and they haven't and uh, they hadn't shut us down yet, thank God. But there's, there may be a growing groundswell of people that are beginning to say, hey, this is getting out of hand. You heard this week that they have now said you can't read Dr. Seuss anymore. I, I, I mean, this is goofus. You can't, it's going to warp some kid who knows nothing about whatever the issue is they have now discovered with Dr. Seuss. Uh, no green eggs and ham. You know, all, all those things. Uh, it's, it's gotten bizarrely stupid. And it, by the way, it's going to get worse if, if, uh, if we don't have some politicians that stand up and say, stop this stuff. And we don't have some academic settings that don't stand up and say, this is absolutely absurd. How, do you, how does the human mind even get here? But there's an agenda going on. I won't get into all of that, but so we'll see the restriction. The second thing we said, uh, we said was the elimination of uh, things like religious contributions. That actually, the Equality Act, I think, uh, could, could impact that. Here, here's one. You know what I said? You give to Ridgecrest, and um, you get a tax donation, right? So at the end of the year, this is tax season, Right. So you want to know what your contributions have been, right? Uh, you get that, and that's, and that's good. It's, I think it's very good. And um, so you get that de deduction. But here's a scenario that may play out, all right? Uh, if the church doesn't, uh, the biblical church does not comply with some federal mandated laws like if we don't start marrying same-sex couples or something like that, I think those are the places they'll try to test us. And so if we don't do that, guess what? They'll say, well, you're violating federal law. Federal law says that they have the right to, and it doesn't matter what your doctrinal position is, this is a federal thing. So if you're not going to do that, that's your choice, but here's what we're going to do because that's been federally uh, adjudicated in the Supreme Court, what we'll do is just say, you're not in compliance with federal law, so we're going to remove your ability to, to uh, if people give to you, to, uh, to give them a tax exemption. Does that make sense? So people, and then, by the way, then we'll find out how many people really believe the Bible about giving when they don't get a tax exemption on it. Well, the Equality Act could be used in that manner down the road to universities, Christian universities, or those sorts of things. Okay, so we said uh, the elimination of religious contributions. A third thing we talked about was redefining a freedom of speech and um, it, things that are not in compliant with, uh, frankly, a, a, in my view, a neo-Marxist kind of ideology will be deemed as hate speech. If you go and study, if you'll study um, uh, Nazi Germany, if you'll study neo-Marxism, you'll study uh, the Soviet Union, all that. Here's what you go to uh, uh, Venezuela and places. Here's what you will always discover. Speech had to be restricted. 
Speech had to be restricted and always has been restricted. Now, it's a softer form that is happening in America right now than just a dictator saying, you cannot say that, or that throwing you in jail or cutting your head off. or that. What, what's, what's happening now is a free, uh, freedom is being restricted through censorship that seems co- uh, socially unacceptable. So it's social pressure, Right? Be careful what you say. The social pressure is what's being used, not some dictator, but social pressure as an agenda is being advanced. And by the way, so why does a book like Dr. Seuss's book gets gets canceled? Because what, what they're doing now, cancel culture, what it is doing now is it's going back and there's no statute of limitation. You, somebody said something stupid 100 years ago. And if they can find it, then they say, but we have new progressive uh, terminology now. And so they hold somebody 100 years ago responsible for for guidelines that they've just created in the last uh, uh, last four or five years, which, which did not exist. That doesn't make what somebody did back there okay, but what it does, you can't go back and say, you are now guilty of things that did not exist back then, but we have now brought them into play, and so we're holding you accountable back then. Does that make sense? So what they do is they go back and they find some junk that Dr. Seuss evidently said, which by the way, he later rescinded, apologized for, and wrote opposite kinds of stuff. So they find that, they say, way back there in the, before the uh, Second World War, therefore, his stuff is no longer acceptable in 2021. Uh, You can't make this stuff up. But that's how freedom of speech is restricted. And that's a soft approach so that the social pressure comes to bear on people to the extent that everybody's scared to death of what to say. I told you a couple weeks ago, first time in my ministry, I've ever had to write stuff and sometimes put a little caveat in front that says, before I tell you what I'm going to say, I need to tell you what I'm not saying when I say it. Right? And see, that's why, why? because of, and it's, even, it's in the churches too. Well, I, you, 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 you know, you should, you, what, social pressure, the social stigma. And what it does is it, sh- even people that don't believe that way suddenly shut down out there because they don't know what, they don't know what the fault police are going to say. This is George Orwell's 1984 coming to fruition. You know, they burned all the books. You know, when Hitler, Hitler took over, uh, the night of Kristallnacht, they burned all the books. Why? Because you know what is the enemy of progressive neo-Marxist thought? Learning and history, real history. By the way, y'all shouldn't have got me on this. Listen, by the way, they are rewriting our history. The New York Times has sponsored a thing called the uh, the 1619 Project. When you see that, and they're trying to get it in our schools all across America, when you see that, just understand what they're doing. They're rewriting history. They're taking God out of American history. They're taking God out of uh, uh, the foundations, the foundation. And by the way, they're painting all the uh, the founding fathers as evil men. I'm sure they had plenty of evil in them just like every human does. 
but when you see that, so they're trying to, rather, uh, our last president enacted, uh, I forget what, what he called another history project, actually to counter the New York Times project. And one of the first things the new administration do, did was uh, write an executive order to do away with it. So we can't teach the real history. These are all subtle ways. Now, we have generations of kids coming up through school who are believing a bunch of lies about how we got here. They're believing uh, a bunch of lies about uh, right and wrong. And uh, folks, there's a price that's going to be paid down the road. Because we've got a generation, we've actually got a couple of generations that have come up on... Um, just a whole lot of lies. But to them, they've been told it's the truth. By the way, that's happened in the church. It's why I'm doing the series I'm doing on Sunday mornings, kind of myths that lead to misbelief, because it happens in theology too. Okay, so, all right, y'all okay with that? Y'all started this. All right, here's the fourth thing. We didn't talk about this, but we talk about it. The fourth thing is they will, the Bible says, they will hand you over. Um, they will hand you over to the government. The Bible makes that uh, clear, and we'll look at that uh, passage here in uh, just a second. But uh, they will hand you over. I've got articles that just came out a, a couple of weeks ago. Every, by the way, if you know what to look for, it's coming out in your news every day. Here's an article from Christianity Today. Canadian pastor jailed over COVID-19 violations. That is, uh, they said, you can only have 10 people. And he said, we can't, we, we, got, we can't do just 10 people. We've got far more people than 10 people. How do we pick the 10? And they knew that he couldn't just say, you can come, you can come, you can come, but the rest of you, you can't, okay? Uh, that's one example. Here's one. Listen to this. A Harvard professor said... Start treating Christian conservatives like they are Nazis. This is hard. This, so the, he's teaching this kind of stuff in the university setting. Um, so the Bible says they'll hand you over. Okay, now let's get to our, our text here. We've got just a few minutes. Look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse uh, 10. Are you all there? It says, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. By the way, y'all know what a pestilence is? A pestilence is COVID-19. But uh, that, that is actually, it, it's talking about pandemics, pestilences, pandemics. But notice it's plural. People ask me, does this have last day's implications? I actually think it does, but it probably not immediate last day implications, but, um, but Jesus talks about this same thing in Matthew 24, and he says these are birth pangs. These are the beginnings of recognizing that, that we're getting real close to the culmination of the age. And you say, what does that mean? I don't know. I've told you that for a year in this series. I, I don't know what that means. It could be 60 years, but we're getting close and things are snowballing, you got to admit that in terms of that. So, but pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But notice verse 12. But before all of this, so what happens before this? 
and they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Now, what is a head for Christians and the Christian church? Um, and again, when I say a head, you have to understand, I don't know what a head means in terms of time, okay? But I, I know we better know what's ahead. And the first thing will be increasing intimidation. Now, how will this kind of persecution? He says they will deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons. And notice he said you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. How does this all start? It starts with increasing intimidation. Now, people, if you'll keep your antenna up, you're already seeing that. And a lot of the reason I'm afraid that many believers are not making a difference out there is because they've been so intimidated about their faith. You're a Christian, and they are criticized about their faith. In their workplace, they're intimidated about it. And I'm not saying that, I'm not even suggesting that you're supposed to walk in with a Bible, start thumping people in the head, or that. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But there is a growing intimidation. Would you agree with that? Do you all agree with that? There's a growing intimidation out in the culture about being a Christian. And it begins in subtle ways. Things like this. Don't, we're, we're no longer going to say Merry Christmas in our culture. Don't say Merry Christmas because, you know, that points to something. It points to what? Christ. You can't even say the word Christmas without referring to Jesus. What I like to say, those, those happy holidayers, and I'm okay with happy holidays, but, I'm, I, but not in place of, of being able to say Christmas. What I like to say to them is, you realize you wouldn't have a happy holiday if it weren't for Merry Christmas. Right? There'd be no holiday to celebrate. If there weren't a Merry Christmas, there's no reason to say Happy Holiday because you're working. You're not off, <laughs> you know. And by the way, have you ever noticed that atheists love to take off at the Christmas holiday? Why? What are they celebrating? I bet they'd be upset too if you didn't have that holiday because they'd have to work. There's going to be a growing kind of intimidation. Just watch in subtle ways. Watch how the intimidation works. Okay, I want to finish this. So uh, uh, then there's going to be the second thing is a greater marginalization. Marginalization. There's going to be an, a, a great, increasing intimidation, greater marginalization. Now, what do I mean when I say a marginalization? See, it said you're going to be handed over. Marginalization means what? you got to stay in your boundaries. Now, let me tell you how we've already heard that playing out. If you listen carefully, in the, really the last uh, eight years of political campaigning, you've been hearing a new phrase. I believe the candidates, in particular on the progressive and left side, will use this phrase, I believe in freedom of worship. Now, doesn't that sound great? I believe in freedom of worship, but you know what? 
what they're doing, they're setting us up for something. That is, you can worship in your place, but don't bring it outside these walls. That's not what the Constitution guarantees. It guarantees what class? Freedom of religion. Uh, even religions, I have to admit that I don't care for, still have in this country the freedom to express their belief. But if freedom of worship becomes the new nomenclature, and, and listen, I heard it in this last campaign, I heard it in the previous campaign, that is all on purpose. Do not say freedom of religion, say freedom of worship, because freedom of worship means, well, y'all, you're free to go to your place and worship all you want, but you can't do it out here. But the Constitution actually says you can. You can exercise your religious freedom. Now, you can't violate and kill people because of your religious freedom. By the way, they'll try to assign things like that, perhaps down the road, to say, ah, those Christians, you see what they do to people. Greater marginalization, you're going to see that, or a growing kind of marginalization, it tries to rein in. So you'll hear things, you're already hearing this, things like, uh, you cannot talk about your faith in the workplace. That's a violation of your constitutional rights, actually. But people are being intimidated and marginalized. Okay? And then third, eventually elimination. Now, I'm not saying when I say elimination, uh, death, though the day will certainly come in the tribulation, well, that will be true. What does elimination mean? It means that if you're going to continue to believe what you believe, we're not only going to marginalize you, we're going to try to shut you down completely. We're just going to finally try to shut or eliminate you completely. And you know what? By the way, they've never been, they've been trying to do it for 2,000 years. God's always had a remnant. It is conceivable the day would come when the church has to go underground. The biblical church has to go underground. By the way, a liberal theological a neo-Orthodox church will most likely never have to go underground because they'll adjust to whatever uh, the culture says, this is what you should believe and this is how you operate. See, the danger right now is that too many churches are saying essentially to the culture, you tell us how to believe and we'll do it. You tell us what we should believe about marriage instead of the Bible. You tell us what we should believe about gender instead of the Bible. You tell us what we should believe about heaven. You tell us what we should believe about hell. Isn't that crazy that the church would allow the world that doesn't know the God that the church professes and yet let the world tell them how they should believe and what they should believe about God and the boundaries that God has established? Isn't that crazy? Folks, we're not far from that. And if we keep heading on this road, that is where we're going to end up. So um, that those things are ahead for the church. Now, when we come back, I've got when we come back next week, I've got a few more things that I want to show you about the, um, um, the mystery Babylon, whether whoever it is, and and some things that relate to what's ahead for. Uh, potentially what's, what's ahead. This is prophetic stuff. It's uh, uh, Luke uh, 21. We'll go back and uh, look at another passage in Luke uh, 17, um, and I'll show you some additional things there. Uh, 
but folks, I just want you to know this stuff. You, by the way, you can walk out and you, you have a, you know, you always have a choice. And those of you who are watching by live stream, and it is your choice because I thank God in America, you have that choice. Um, and by the way, those who scream the loudest for choice are the ones that are trying to determine what you can choose and what you can't choose. But you have that, that's your freedom. I, I mean, you can say what, here's your options. You can walk out here and say, I think he's a nut. That's an option for you. If you do that, don't tell me, okay? But that's an option that you have. You can walk out of here and you can say, wow, that's some pretty heavy stuff. But it's no big deal. Or you can walk out and say, that's heavy stuff. I'm going to make sure I know my Bible. And if, if none of this happens in my lifetime, wonderful. But if it does, I'm not going to be taken by surprise. My people perish for lack of knowledge, the Scripture says. My people, that's God. God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So let it not be, as we look out there and we see some of these things, by the way, we love the culture. Don't condone the culture, but love the culture with the love of God. Jesus loved them enough to come into the world and die for them. And we have the message of hope. You'd be surprised how many people are actually looking for the message of hope. They just don't know any better, and so they are swallowing a cultural idea that promises them that, that nirvana is ahead if they all get on the same page and if, if everything is just swallowed. So live differently, by the way. Speak truth in love. And, um, and lift up your eyes, as the Scripture says, for your redemption draws near. Amen? Well, speaking of redemption, is there anybody here tonight, you're not sure if you died, uh, you'd go to heaven, and you want to you establish a relationship with the Lord Jesus, you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior? Anybody here like that tonight? Anybody here like that? Did I see that hand? Wonderful. Uh, hey, let's talk right afterwards, okay? Let's talk about that. Super. Anybody here tonight and um, you say, I know Christ, but I need church home and I want rich Christ. I want to join the church with a crazy pastor. That wouldn't be Ridgecrest. That would be another church. You, but you, you want to join Ridgecrest. Uh, Y'all didn't think I was going to swallow that completely, did you? Anybody here like that? Okay. All right. I'm glad you've been here tonight. Uh, look, always be encouraged, Mark. You're, you're on the winning side. I know some of this stuff is dark and heavy sometimes, but people, we're on the winning side. And if it all crashes down, here's what we know. In the end, we got a place in heaven with the Lord Jesus. Amen? So we rejoice in that. Uh, so uh, never walk out and, and let... Never walk out and give the devil victory. And say, man, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. You walk out and say, hi, devil, your day is coming. Your day's coming. You can wreck havoc only because God has allowed it. But your day's coming. So I'm on the winning side. Don't let the devil discourage you. You be encouraged. Listen, be encouraged because if, if our redemption is drawing near, the day is coming 
that means we're one step closer to being in the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. So rejoice, all right?